everyone, and welcome to the All It Takes a Goal podcast, the best place in the entire world, including all of Canada, to learn how to build new thoughts, new actions, and new results. I'm your host, John Acuff, and today I'm joined by Mike McCallowitz. Now, I recorded this intro before I asked him how to pronounce his name, so I might have just destroyed that. Sometimes people say John Acuff. Um, I always say it's a cuff, like a shirt sleeve. That's a little trick I use. So hopefully I said that right. Who is Mike? So glad you asked. Mike is the creator of Profit First, which is used by hundreds of thousands of companies across the globe to drive profit. He's a creator of Clockwork, a powerful method to make any business run on automatic. He released a book called Fix This Next, where he talks about the strategy businesses can use to determine what to do. His latest book, Get Different, was about how to stand out in the marketplace. He's a phenomenal speaker, writer, goal guy, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I've given his book away, Clockwork, a number of times. I love that book. It challenged me in so many different ways. So I've got a bunch of questions for Mike about that book. I think you're going to get a ton out of this episode. But first, a quick message about the sponsor of today's episode. You've heard me say it before. Goals are not easy, but they are simple. Personal goals are hard enough, but if you're leading the team, that's even harder. Good luck keeping everyone on track and focused. Did you know that 92% of people don't achieve their goals? 92% according to our University of Scranton study. That means only 8% of people actually finish what they start. The good news, there's some hope. And I'm excited to share it with you today. You've got to check out Leader. It's the first ever people development software that helps you and your team set clear goals and track progress over time. It's called Leader, L-E-A-D-R. With Leader, you can simplify goals for your team. You can add collaborators across the organization. You can include clear action items and updates throughout the week, all in one easy-to-use platform. Imagine what your team could accomplish if every employee was engaged and growing with clear goals and consistent development at every level. Contact Leader to set up a custom demo for your team today at leadr.com. That's leadr.com. More than 600 organizations are already using Leader to track goals and develop their teams. And use promo code ACUFF, that's A-C-U-F-F, for 20% off when you book a demo at leader.com. All right, let's jump right into my interview with Mike. All right, Mike, I'm so glad you're on my podcast today. I'm already excited because before we even hit record, um, and we were dangerously close to like having good stuff before you record. That's an we amateur were, hour. We were amateur hour. Um, but you know everybody I know in Nashville, which is so fun. You know Mike Hyatt and John Gordon. He's not in Nashville yet. Eventually, he's, by he's law, working his way there from California. But eventually, by law, you have to move here if you want to write a book or start a podcast or be a professional it's speaker. True, it's, true, um, it's, it's not my rule. It's federal. So it you can fight it if you want, but good luck fighting the federal government. But Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. John, it's a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, I think we're going to have a ton of fun. Um, I'm really looking forward to this. I think a, a lot of people know you best as the Profit First guy. That yeah. book did super well. Um, I have so many friends that are entrepreneurs, that are business owners, that love that book. Why do you think that book struck such a chord with so many people? Well, I think it's a major problem. So uh, there was a survey conducted by U.S. Bank uh, in conjunction with the SBA this goes back maybe four or five years ago, but they identified that 83% of small business 
And the SBA identifies a small business as a $25 million company or smaller. So they're pretty big, small business, right? I was going to say, that's a curious definition. Yeah, I am it, apparently very small. Yeah, you're right, right, right. I'll make a small business. Oh, like uh, anything under a million is a small business. I'm just yeah. a little bit bigger. Yeah. They identify that 83% of small business is surviving check by check. Mm. Uh, and, and how they defined it is they, they don't have enough funds to support payroll, rent, uh, and therefore the owner compromises themselves. They don't pay themselves. And so what, what confounded me is I went to business for financial freedom. And I think that's why most of us do and personal freedom and other reasons, but I don't want to worry about bills, but almost all of us are worrying about bills. Yet we went into business not to worry about bills. What's wrong with us? And I'm sitting there, I'm looking one day at the foundational formula that's in every accounting book, your sales, minus your expenses, results in profit. I'm like staring at that. I'm like, gosh, I want that profit. And then I looked at the formula and I said, oh my gosh, the formula is wrong because Logically makes sense, but tells us that profit comes last. And from a behavioral standpoint, is human nature, when something comes last, it means it's insignificant. We're taught that, sa- that profit's insignificant. So I flipped the formula, sales minus profit equals expenses. It's the pay yourself first system, which has been a system around for eons. I just apply it to business. I, I think the reason the book has taken off is because A, it's such a massive problem. B, the solution is right in our nose and it's radically simple. Do what we're told in our personal finances pay yourself first and do that in your business. And it resolves a lot of things. Do you think that there's other things that people, when they try an endeavor, like starting their own business, doing a side hustle, because that's a very popular thing. It's, it's way easier than it's ever been 30 years ago, 40 years ago. I don't, I don't even know how you could possibly do it. Even having a podcast, I'd have to find somebody who'd put me on the radio. Do you think there's other things people trade off without knowing like personal freedom, the ability to be with their family, more things that in the hustle and the grind, all of a sudden they look up and realize, wow, I took more vacation time when I didn't have my own business yeah. and now I'm kind of in this trap. Yeah, so the answer is, of course, yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I call it entrepreneurial poverty. In fact, I defined as a mission for myself. I think it's God-given, but you, we can define however we want. But I believe that I'm on this planet to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. Mm-hmm. My definition of entrepreneurial poverty is we start a business, a side hustle, with this great vision of we're gonna make all the money in the world uh, that I need. Uh, we're gonna have all the time in the world that I want. My soul will be f- fulfilled. But then the reality is we're not making a dime. We're working our tails off and our, our soul is being diminished. Like it, it's this gap. And so I think there's so many forms of poverty. And that's the ultimate downside is you start this business with this great sense of grandeur of how you're going to be of service. And then it collapses. And, and then we think entrepreneurship is a bad thing or it, it can't work or there's something wrong with me. And, and none of that's true. I think we just don't have this certain key elements that could help us along our journey. How did you bump into that mission? Because that's a, that's a big word. I think a lot of times people will say to me, hey, I need to figure out my purpose, my calling. How did you start to formulate that? How did that start to crystallize for you? I started that when I became an author 15 years ago now, when I published my first book, I was talking with someone like, why am I doing this? And I'm like, you know, because I want to help entrepreneurs. And it kind of started morphing to, I'm trying to support underdog entrepreneurs. What I ultimately found is if if I can, and I think this is uh, true for all of us, if we can find traumas in our life, we have a choice to use that trauma as a leverage point to no longer be a victim of it, to say, I will resolve this for myself and for others permanently, or we can choose to become victimized by it. But I think we do have that choice. And I was reflecting on my life, and I had one experience, uh, others, but one in particular around financial trauma that was devastating to me. And uh, that trauma point was what I started focusing on. And, and I started to try to put words to it. Like, what was that? Mm. And it was, a, it was a, 
a lack of knowledge, a lack of skill, uh, overwhelmed with bravado and ego. Like it was all these things. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's poverty. It's an entrepreneurial poverty. And that's when it's like, oh, it's entrepreneurial poverty. That tagline or that mission, it, it's really quippy and easy for me to remember. But it, it was over, I was, always was trying to do that. It just took me about five to 10 years to codify those three words. <laughs> yeah, that's encouraging because I think there is sometimes this concern when you're on the outside of not having a mission or not knowing what it is to think, well, Mike got his in like a long afternoon. No, sometimes, no, no. sometimes people write books where they go through a 10 year experience and then they re-remember it as if they followed steps. And then they take, they tell you the steps and it feels like the steps happened in like a three day weekend. And they were like, that's yeah, how. That's a misnomer. Yeah. yeah. The truth is, and you've heard this millions of times uh, that entrepreneurial success happens uh, overnight and overnight's 20 years, right? Yeah. Like, like we're, we're told that overnight success takes a long period of time. And it's absolutely true. It really is a culmination of things, but I think in its public aspect, it looks like it happens in a snap. I remember I interviewed uh, Brian Smith. He's the founder of UGG. And I was like, oh man, billion dollar brand, 2000, you know, my daughter, I have a daughter, she was wearing all these Uggs and like, that's when it broke. He's like 2000. I'm like, when did you start? Like 99? He's like, Started in 1970. I was like, oh. <laughs> that's so, so Ugg, good. Ugg started in 90. So his yeah. overnight success took 30 years. Yeah. Um, and I that's think that's a long time. true for most of them. Yeah, that is. I think that is true. That, so for you, um, I, I do sense that when you write, you're writing to that person. But hearing you talk like a specific type of person, but it sounds like you're also writing to yourself. I mean, for me, I always say every first draft of my book is a Dear John letter. Like oh, I'm yeah. thinking through something that I go, I want to do better at that. Um, was the writing process part of you dealing with that trauma and able to express it and then turn it into an act of service for other people? Yeah, it, it was. You know, when I'm writing a, a book itself, that's a good question. I, I, I am writing toward a person, but I don't think I'm writing toward myself. What, what, I, what I envision is uh, the old Western bar scene where there's one guy sitting there and he's like, my life is miserable. And I come in and my arms over their shoulder and I'm like, my life's miserable too, but we got this together. Like that's yeah. kind of the vision. But prior to that, so uh, so here, here's the trauma, just really nicely kind yeah. of bullet pointed. Well, I don't want to ask, like, I don't want to say let's relive it and you'll cry on this podcast. That'd be the first yeah, time. Yeah, I probably will start crying. Yeah, but, you yeah. Know. I'm, I'm a powerful interviewer. John I mean, a lot of people Oprah say that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is Super Sunday Soul Day. <laughs> I don't know if that's right. <laughs> I've been an entrepreneur my entire life, adult life. I built and sold two multi-million dollar businesses. One was a private equity deal and another was a Fortune 500 exit. And I'm like, I thought I was a hot potato. I'm like, I am the smartest man in the room. My ego was so fat. I was, I was a dick. Yeah. And what I did was I started spending money to support my ego. I had to have the biggest house. We got a place, mm -hmm. my wife and I, uh, to sabbatical in Lanai, Hawaii, which is this island owned by uh, Ellison now. Larry Ellison owns the island. And uh, all these things, like to show how big and successful I was. I then started how old another business. How old are you when this was happening? 35, 30, 35, not even 30, okay. 33 to 35. Okay. So 33 is I hit it and I'm like, I've arrived. And by 35, I wiped myself out. Cause I, I said, I have to start a new business to support this. So I became an angel investor. It sucked. I, I wiped out all these businesses. I didn't know what I was doing. The, the defining moment was I came home. My accountant had called me that morning saying, you have to declare bankruptcy. I had not told my family how bad things were. I was lying by omission. Mm -hmm. My wife and my three children were there to have dinner, but I arrived late and they were waiting for me. Food was out. It was cold. My wife's like, what's going on? Where have you been? And I had come home. I was sobbing. Oh, man. Snot. It was disgusting. And she thought someone had passed away, like my parents or something. I said, no, I, 
I lost everything. I said, we're going to lose our house in 30. We lost it 30 days later. Uh, we're going to lose everything. Because I had a choice to declare bankruptcy, which I chose to liquidate my remaining assets to pay off the immediate debtors, which was the government. Yep. You know, the, the uh, Don't IRS. mess with them. And uh, my daughter, I told her she couldn't go horseback riding because I couldn't afford the $20 for a group session. She ran, I thought she was running away. She ran to her bedroom to grab her piggy bank. And I'll never forget this. Um, it was February 14th. It was 2008. I, can, I know exactly where I was. She put the piggy bank down on the food, on the dinner table. And she goes, daddy, since you can't support our family, I'll do it for us. Oh and, my uh, gosh. Now I'm getting emotional. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I was so angry at myself. I felt like such a scum and I was so proud of her. That became a defining moment. And, and here's a little, I like to put a little ribbon on this. It wasn't like the next morning I woke up and said, I'm going to be an author and fix this for myself and everyone else. The next day I no. said, where's the bourbon and the yeah. beer? I started yeah. boozing hard, man. And I'm not proud of that, but I feel necessary to share this. That I, I use it as medication. I became insomniac. I went through depression for two years. Self-diagnosed depression. I didn't even go to a therapist, which shame on me. But I found that the most afflicted community with depression is guys like me and you. It's entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. So I feel compelled to share that story. Now, listen, I'll still throw back a margarita today, but I'm not like I was and I don't ever want to be. Again. What were some of the steps that you, because therapy, awesome. I saw my therapist like a week ago. Like I always talk about, it's so important. So like, important. I don't, I don't know who too. people are talking to if they're not talking to a therapist. Like who is carrying this with you? Who are, yeah, right, right. Who are you processing with? So important. Um, so love that. But what were some of the steps out of that that you said, and I love the honesty. I mean, for me, you know, when uh, COVID hit, I was on track to have the biggest speaking year I'd ever had, like seven years aimed in one direction. This was the year in March. I texted a friend and said, I think the first half of the year is going to be tough, but it, things will change. And then, like, you, yeah. And then it didn't. It and it's so tempting to write in like in review. Oh, and I spent a couple of weeks and then I got my act together. It was like nine mad months. Like it wasn't that I like dusted myself off after listening to eye of the tiger. And I was like, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to figure I'm going to start doing something new. It took me a while. So what's, what's on the other side of that two years? Um, I, I got to share a little story. So that day it was around March 15th, 2000. Mm-hmm. I was telling you about that uh, author group. That's the first time yeah. we met was in March. Now we've moved to October. I was with John Gordon and I'm in the car driving over to Don Miller's house and uh, John's looking at his phone. And he goes, damn it. I go, what? He goes, I just, I just lost a speaking gig. I'm like, what? He goes, oh my God, I lost another one. He lost <laughs> four speaking gigs inside, right? So inside I'm laughing. I'm like, my God, what's going on? He's like this COVID thing. I'm like, what? I'm like, dude, yeah. I, he, he lost everything. I was laughing because I'm like, I'm not losing anything. It's just something for you. My eight, I got to the house. My agent called. She goes, you just lost 10 gigs. And my face <laughs> went white. I was like, what? That's how, that's how we started yeah. our meeting. Just to real quick, the two years, what got me through that and, and it spawned the books, I started journaling. And I would say the cheapest form of therapy is journaling, which is the guy's word for a diary. Totally, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we, want totally. to, we want to sound like we're doing it with a knife. I carve yeah. my words right into a tree. With my own yeah. blood, man. Yeah, exactly. No, I use I a felt journal. tip pen. No, I use one of those feather pens. I was dipping yeah, the quill. Yeah, sure, sure. That's funny. So I started journaling, and what it was was venomous thoughts. And I, I thought first a journal was, write down the positive thoughts from the day. Give yourself affirmations. No, I wrote mm-hmm. down angry thoughts about myself, about God, mm-hmm. about our world. Why was this? Why was I the one being you know, crucified? And uh, what was interesting about this is every time I was let go of my venom, like there would be moments of clarity then. It was like, 
okay, hold on. I'm not stressed. I'm not worrying. And sometimes it lasts five minutes, but sometimes it's like a full day or two. And then I'd say, I, let me get back to work here. I also found as I was writing this stuff, the work I needed to do was to solve my problems. I'm like, how come I never had profit? Why was I built and sold those two companies? They were never profitable. The exit made the money, but not running right. them. Like, why weren't they profitable? I'm like, why weren't they profitable? I got five hours of clarity. Let me research this. Yeah. That journal, which I still have today, uh, became the source for mo- many of my books. Oh, that's so, that's so good. It's so interesting to hear kind of the treasure chest um, of a trauma you explore, of a trauma that you work on, and a trauma that you that you face and and heal from. Um, I always I always tell people the scars you share become lighthouses for other people headed mm. to the same rocks. Mm. there's a temptation in our industry, in our space to only share things that you won or pain from 30 years ago that you don't care about anymore. Um, <laughs> right, right, right. Like, and I, you know, and I think it's so much more powerful, especially I think this generation can see that a million miles away and shuts off when it's, oh, just it's so, the win parade. Like, here's how amazing. I yeah, am. yeah. 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 I, I, I don't like, and I don't think consumers like the panderer, the, the intellectual says, I know and I will bestow upon you my yeah. great genius. And there's flavors of that. There's the ones, the biggest turnoff for me is, you know, guy on tarmac, you know, personal jet behind them that he rented for the day. Yeah. With that, like, I can be rich and you're a loser for not being rich. Lamborghini, he's Lam- also rented. Tiger, possibly, if he's doing the tiger, flex. A tiger, a tiger that he's wrestling with. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Like, it's you not guys even the Claude. Yeah, you guys don't race tigers? What do you have, a cat? Yeah, you're, yeah. A, you're a wuss for not yeah. fighting tigers like I do. I, I love that. Why shown in the photo? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we just go on and on. But it, it's, that is, it's artificial. And I'll tell you, even if that's real, even if that guy has that stuff, um, there is something missing there that, that when, when I felt, cause I was there that I needed to show that I had these things, dude, I used to have a Dodge Viper just what because color, red, blue, blue, white stripes, GTS, and whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever. And I found out that the Viper is the winning trophy of dicks, by the way. So <laughs> okay, okay. there you go. So I'm, I'm driving. I felt that I needed to show this, um, that I needed to show success. I found there's a parallel to poker. I, I play Texas Hold'em with some buddies. And mm-hmm. anytime someone has shown like strength on the table, I'm like, oh, they're weak. When, when they try to bluff the table because mm-hmm. they have the weak cards, they need to scare off the table to win the pot. I noticed when someone starts playing meek and stuff, they're the strong one because they want everyone to stay in because they're going to claim the pot. Yeah. Like, oh, this is life. That guy has got to show the jet and the tiger wrestling. There, there's a weakness inside. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a reason they're, 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 they have to put that bluff out there. To me, uh, the people I found that are truly the most successful, I mean the roundedness of successful. Accumulation money is, is, is not even a part of success in many aspects, but maybe it's a little bit of it. But there's, mm-hmm. there's contentment in life. There's contribution to society. There's love for family. The person that has all that, it becomes a really soft hand. There's no need to show up. I used to... Um work with Dan Cathy, the CEO of Chick-fil-A. And the first thing he would do when we went into Chick-fil-A's was empty the garbage. Oh. And then when we were at events and people would come up and say, oh, what do you do? He'd say, I'm in customer service. And he wasn't doing it so that later, if they found out he, he was worth $6 billion, they'd go, you're so humble. He was doing that because that's what that's he genuinely he believed. Like, I love him. He couldn't, he couldn't help doing that. I think one of the, the lines I liked in Clockwork, because I, I love that book, is that you're talking about delegating. 
it would have been easier for you to go, you should delegate more, delegate more, delegate more. Mm. But instead you said, every time my team had a question that only I could answer, it pumped up my ego and fulfilled my need to feel important. Yeah. How has how dealing with your ego allowed you to be a better leader, a, a better author, a better speaker, a better anything? I, so I suffer from what I call the superhero syndrome. I see myself as, oh my gosh, I am so special. I can swoop in and fix any problem in my business. Yeah. Uh, customer's upset. I got this taken care of because Super Mike is here. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I realized when in- investigating the superheroes in movies, wow, man, do they leave a wake of destruction behind themselves? And they, they disable and disarm the, the law enforcement or the task force that is supposed to deal with that crime. I remember growing up, I was watching Batman, the real Batman with Adam West. Yeah, the pow, bang, Batman. Yeah, yeah, exactly, the real Batman. I remember, I love that show. And looking at that, every time the commissioner would pick up the bat phone and say, Batman, you know, we're in trouble again, save us. But that also meant the commissioner and the police force couldn't do anything. And every time Batman Mm -hmm. saved the day, they became less capable. I was like, oh my gosh, that's what I'm doing. I'm saving the day and ruining everything and deflating the abilities of my team. Delegation is an empowerment mechanism. It's delegation isn't task assignment. That's task rabbiting. Go do this. Delegation is a transfer of belief and trust saying, here is the outcome that I envision. Do you see the same? And if you do, I entrust you to, to get there to the best of your ability. And if you fail to get there, that's called being human. And I will accept that. If you deliberately fail, that's a problem. Right. If you repeatedly fail and you're not growing and not seeking counsel, that's a problem. But if you fail on the journey to the outcome, welcome to humanity. Cause this is like the King failure here. And, and I don't fire myself for my own business when I fail. So that was empowerment. There, there was one more thing that I wrote about in the book that I had to do was actually remove myself. You know, Batman or Superman or Wonder Woman can say, I'm not going to help anyone. But when the crime gets so bad, they're chomping their fingers and say, I got to fix the day. And they fly yeah. in. That's what I was doing. So I deliberately, the ultimate test for me was to leave the business for four weeks. I went to Australia because I couldn't think of any place that was farther away. Um, I had some speaking opportunities down there and vacation. So I said, I'm leaving. And now you're, 12 hour, you're in a 12-hour different cycle. It's going to be really hard to access you. When I returned from that trip, I asked my team on a one to 10, how badly do you need me back? One, stop talking, start working. 10, uh, we don't need you. And they said, basically you're 9.5. Like, we like you, you're kind of <laughs> yeah. cool, but we feel so empowered and so strong. Uh, we got this and we're, we're proud of ourselves. And I was proud uh, of them because of that. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. What a, what a fun kind of full circle to go from every question they need to come to me into they don't even need me to answer the questions. Yeah, and, and it's still a discipline. It's not like, I still have yeah. that. Oh, I know the <laughs> yeah, answer. Sure, sure, sure. So, I, I think, I'm curious, who's in your circle that can tell you the truth? Kelsey, she's the president of our company. Okay. She tells me the, the blatant truth. Actually, all my colleagues. I, so I got a call from our social media manager. His name's Jeremy mm-hmm. here at our office. And uh, he, he, he works remotely, but he's a full-time employee of our company. He calls me and he says, can I be truthful with you? I'm like, like every owner says, says I say yes. And, but I also yeah, know the Open game. door policy, but you yeah, have Open door policy. Yeah, 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 you say yeah, whatever yeah. you want. It yeah. just better be flattering. Yeah, and it better be a compliment. Yeah. And he goes, that beard, Mike, is not working. Is that why you trimmed it? Because it was longer on some of the vid- the children's book video. It was definitely Mountain Man. It was, it was Mountain Man slash Homeless. Ah. And he, that's, that was exact words. He's like, dude, you're, you're leaving uh, home, uh, Mountain Man and you're turning into like this, this vagrant. 
And he's like, yeah. he goes, you got to trim that mofo down. Yeah. And you know what? I felt the zing of my, he goes, <laughs> that hurts. I like my beard. Yeah. And then all the defenses come up. My wife likes my beard. And you know, I got this big manly beard chin. You're probably buying beard oil. Like you're fully into I beard, do buy beard oil. Yeah, totally. I carry around a battle ax. Naked. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're probably sharpening it right now. I can't see your hands. It's maybe. under the table and I don't <laughs> yeah, want to, I don't want to embarrass yeah. anyone yeah. with the size of my battle ax. And so Jeremy said that, and um, it's tough to absorb the truth, but that was the truth. And, I, and in retrospect, and it took me a good portion of time, I was like, kudos to Jeremy for saying what the truth is or his truth is, and a little bit of kudos to me for, for listening, but it's still hard. When somebody tells you an uncomfortable truth or a, a courageous truth, how long does it take you to accept it and receive it and thank them? Depending. Probably my average is three days. Yeah, I was gonna say that's good to hear because I, I, if you had said, oh, instant, I hug oh, no, them, never, never. and then I, okay, oh, okay. I, I can fake it instantly. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. That was yeah. wonderful. Thank you very much. And then, and then the little tear starts welling. I'm like, I have to go to the bathroom, and okay. I start crying. I'm like, oh my gosh, and then I get angry. It's like the this seven stages of grieving. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, because the reason I ask is somebody gave me told me the truth recently. I was on a panel that somebody asked me to be on a panel about like volunteer recruitment at churches, which I know nothing about. But if you put a mic in front of me and ask me questions, I think I can, I can talk about anything. Yeah, yeah, and course. I was giving ideas and an expert at it was in the back of the room. And when I got off stage, she was like, that was not helpful at all because you've <laughs> never recruited volunteers. And yeah, like a couple of days later, I was like, wow, she's really right. And so yeah. now when I'm in situations and people go, Hey, how do I write a book of poems? I go, I, I don't know. I've oh, never done that. That's I'm good tempted learning. to tell you, but I don't know. And that's where like, when I see a celebrity answer a deep political question, I'm like, oh, oh they just want to talk because they don't know. Like, but when you're, you think you're supposed to and you want to help people, but that was, that was helpful for me to say, I, I just don't know. I just, yeah. and I thought I'd like to think I do, but I don't, but it took me a couple of days to get there. Yeah, we can become vacuous and, and that is really a very risky situation. And, and I too fall in that constantly because you want, I want to be supportive. I want to help. I want to, it's fun to answer questions. And, and I, it's also a little bit embarrassing for me to say, I don't know the answer, but what I've also found, and this is the truth is when, when you say you don't know the answer, people are like, Oh, there's someone that's integral and integrity yeah. trumps answers. Yeah. I, I think you're, I think you're right. What do you think holds people back from living up to their full potential or living out of their full potential? Cause you've written a number of books. You've been in thousands of businesses. You've met with tens of thousands of people. Do you see commonality between where somebody pulls back, where they've got, you know, maybe you've had a team member that's capable of more and you have to encourage that in them. What do you think holds people back? I, I think, um, and this is not my, I'm not, this didn't come from me. Is ironic or coincidental. I had a conversation this morning about this exact concept. And a woman named Casey Compton, who I'm working with, said, she goes, you know what holds people back, Mike? And I said, what's your thought? She goes, it's self-love. It's appreciation for ourselves. She goes, that's, that's it. That's ultimately it. There are, and I've been the person who, we're always that one step away from success. If I just do one more thing, if I finally acquire that or achieve this, I'll be fulfilled. And that happens, it's like, I'm not even close to fulfilled. Yeah. It's actually an inward reflection back to ourselves and saying, I love me and I'll care for me. And the second you have that, all of the external affects melt away in their significance. And now you can be true to whatever your defining purpose is. I'll, I'll give you an example. I, I did a keynote a few years back. And, and as you know, some people come up after a keynote and usually tell you their story, which I actually love to hear their stories. 
this one guy comes up and I was talking about purpose and mission. And I said, you know, mine's to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. And I gave context. He came up and he, and he says, I'm really embarrassed but because my mission is so small compared to yours. And, and that's a red flag. There is no small or big mission. It's just the mission. Like it's all yeah. the same. And he goes, I go, well, what's your mission or purpose? And he goes, uh, my wife passed away a year ago. He goes, I have to work to support our family. I have two daughters. He goes, my mission, my life's purpose is to put food on the table with my daughters. And that's it. And he goes, I'm embarrassed, but that's it. I'm like, embarrassed? That's massive. Um, that's impacting lives uh, into, into perpetuity. I ran into the same guy. This is so uncanny. Uh, a year or two later, and I, I neglected to get his name, so I don't recall his name. But he said, you remember me? And I, I did remember a story. I said, yes. And he said, I started to realize in my experience that the most important time with your family, particularly with your children, is dinner. He's like, putting food on the table became time with my daughters. I was always working, but there was this hour and a half every day that with my daughters. And he goes, there's a lot of single parents out there. Because I've started a mission to put dinner on single parents' table to find that dinner time. That's my life's purpose. And so the moral to the story here is sometimes a purpose yields yet a new purpose. Maybe, the, maybe a purpose can be served to a certain degree and it opens up and blooms into something else. But there is no purpose that's smaller or bigger than anything else. Well, I, I 100% agree with that. I mean, I think that if you, if, you are, if you fall in love with the purpose, it's hard not to share that love with other people that are in that space. In the same way that you wouldn't want another mic to come in to a dinner table and tell a family over cold dinner that everything had fallen apart. So if you, like, if you can help prevent that or can help encourage different decisions that don't lead to that, that to me feels like where you take what was your gift and then you help other people open their gifts. Like, yeah. I think that's always how, I hope that's always how it works when you, when you turn something from like, this is me to somebody else. It feels like that in your books over and over and over again. One of the, the lines in um, Clockwork that I loved was you said, I was addicted to doing whatever anyone wanted at whatever price they offered. Yeah. I prostituted my business to survive just one more day and then continue that behavior as I expanded into multiple disastrous businesses. I think it's very tempting when somebody's goal is to start a side hustle. They go through a season where they're saying yes to everything because they feel like there's no money coming in. I don't have enough clients. And then even when they graduate to having more clients, they still have that survivor's mentality. Yeah. And, and I do that. My wife calls me on that all the time. Like she'll say, you are so cheap. Cause I'll be like, look at this whole shiny nickel I got. And she was like, you hit the New York Times bestsellers list. Why did you do that for $1.50? And I'm like, because we need all the $1.50s we can get. You know? <laughs> yeah, no. yeah, so how do you encourage people beyond that moment or give them a new mindset to go, hey, here's how to start saying no to some things that maybe you said yes to in the past or maybe you shouldn't even said yes to them a long time ago, but definitely not now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do think to start, you got to get your foot on that first rung of the ladder, mm-hmm. but then you got to lift the next foot. So, so there is a stepped kind of algorithm, I think, if that's the right choice of words, to growing a business. So in the very, very early stages is we don't know what we have to offer. And I found my own businesses, I had this concept like, oh, here's the community I'm serving. When I, when I became an author, I was like, oh, it's, it's college kids. It's white college kids that just graduated and want to start a business because that's who I was. And uh, that's who I started targeting. But smartly in retrospect, but just aimlessly in the beginning, I was actually trying to serve other people too. And I found traction in another market. And then once I found a foothold there, it requires a discipline of saying no to what's not helping you grow. So you have to make this decision. If, if you continue to try to serve everyone, you become placating. You, you, you start to dilute your ability to be good at anything. So, and, and 
these are very rough rules of thumb, but I found usually the first maybe 250,000 in revenue, specifically for service companies, you can kind of serve anybody anyway. Because usually at that revenue, you can still be a one-person operation. But the second you guys start bringing in more people, you start needing to bring sophistication and systemization. The only way you can bring systemization is if you have repeatability. If everything's a one-off, you'll never have systems. So it's around 250 where you better start picking okay. uh, what you're going to do over and over again, which means you need to pick a specific community. Um, and, and that's a hard discipline. There was a study also by SBA identified that I think it's 97% of businesses are one-person operations and they can't get past 250. And I'd argue it's because they, they continue to diversify their offering as opposed to unify around an ideal client. Yeah, that is uh, very convicting because I, I've had a business for nine years now and we just hired an operations consultant and did like a, a formal annual planning meeting and I came oh, nice. home and I told my wife, it's absurd I ever tried to lead my team through one of those because based on what he did versus what I was doing, I might as well have brought my team in and given them haircuts. Like that's how <laughs> equipped I was at doing that. Like it was like watching someone speak in Italian. So I, I feel like I, I asked that question because I'm in that spot. Do you have any mantras or pep talks or statements? I mean, you're, like, we're not a video podcast, but behind you, it says, be you always. But yeah, yeah. are there statements that are important to you that when you're, you know, whether you want to get up or whether you're in a down moment, you say, you know what? I need to remember this. This is true of who I am. This is you know, true of what's possible. Yes. So um, I do have mantras. I, I practice uh, transcendental meditation. Sure. Um, TM. Howard Stern, too. big fan. Oh, are you? I love it. No, Howard um, Stern. Love, like, oh, so Howard many Stern's people. a big fan. Oh. Yeah, Howard Stern. Oh, I didn't know he fan. does TM. Oh, yeah. Talks about it all the time. You know what's interesting is that you, you find, I find a lot of people uh, that have been very successful in their categories. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld does it. Seinfeld, um, yeah. Leverage it. So it, it's... It's been an extraordinary experience for me. So, um, and it is a mantra-based meditation, but it, it's based on a nonsense word. You, you get a, a single word that you repeat over and mm -hmm. over, and it helps you just kind of, but I also use my own mantras. But, but here's the biggest thing. I set up what's called affirmation loops. At least I call them affirmation loops. I was reading Gary Chapman's book, uh, The Five Love Languages. Sure. And my love language is words of affirmation. I can't get enough mm -hmm. of them. Mike, you're great. Oh, thank you. Tell me more. I think your me. beard looks awesome. I think thank your beard you. is working. <laughs> tell, me, tell me more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I love, I, f I feed on that. So I said, okay, if I feed on that, I better set that up in my business to keep me motivated. Every single book I write, I deliberately invite the reader to engage with me and I read them all. And now it's, it's a level, it's voluminous, but still manageable with some assistance. And um, of the people that reach out, not all, I'm not saying, Hey, you know, stroke my ego. Tell me about my great beard, my battle ax, mm. but I do engage with some of these folks. They tell me about the impact that my books or work has had on their life in some capacity. Oh my God, that's the fuel. I just, I read that. I'm like, Oh man, this is why I'm here. Mm. Double yeah. down. That's and the loop. That's the loop At, you know, seek, seek out to support mm. people, engage. And then they may on their own accord, give an affirmation. And I'm like, here we go, bring it. And then the next yeah. morning I'm doubling down, doubling down. Um, I do get them every them? day. Every day I would say probably three to four every hour now, probably more than that. That's amazing. That, and I, I think I told my wife, I have the perfect level of fame in that like no one, no one's taking my photo, but people come up to me a couple of times a week and tell me I'm good at my job. Oh, like awesome. strangers go, Hey, you're really good at your job. I mean, cause they'll say the, the book really helped me. And I'm like, Oh, thanks. Like an accountant never gets that experience. Like where somebody walks by and goes, Hey, those numbers were amazing. I just want, I saw that file. <laughs> your your numbers was, are just beautiful. Yeah, your numbers, I, they lined up. So, so I my, feel so my grateful. one, 
incident with the modicum of, I consider myself a Z list on the fame list because I've never been recognized anywhere except for once I was at an airport and I'm walking and some dude across the tarmac or not tarmac across the, the gates yells out, Hey, are you Mike McCallowitz? And the whole airport goes, zing, looks at me. And I'm like, Oh, and uh, some guy's like, are you Mike McCallowitz? And I'm like, no. And I just kept on walking. That was my one instance in 15 you years. You kept on walking? Yeah. I was like, I'm not, I'm not like that. I, the guy could be a murderer. It could have been uh, my uncle. It could Yeah, have but he's uncle. in the airport. He's gone through security. He can't stab you. That's he has no sharp objects. I didn't have my battle axe with me. I didn't feel yeah. I could defend myself. I, I had that experience once at an airport and somebody came up and said, oh, are you John? Like, and they asked me some questions. And then a lady next to them said, who is that? And they said, this is John Acuff. And she said, huh? And then you walked away. <laughs> so it was kind yeah. of, Our like, industry is It was a high humbling. and a low. It was Isn't a high it? and a yeah. low. Yeah. 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 I yeah. The second your ego goes up even a little bit, someone comes no. with a big needle. No, it's so it's so true. So I want to switch real quick um to like personal goals. Walk us through, okay, like are you a I'm a get up early in the morning guy? Like I interviewed somebody the other day that was like, I get up at 4 a.m. and I write from four to five thirty and then I do this. What's your day start like? So I am Pretty intense. Uh, I'm not that early. I get up at 5.15. Yeah, um, it's still good. It's not a contest, but it's still yeah, pretty yeah, good. It's not, yeah, and, and just to set up, I, I hop into bed 8, 8.30. The latest lights out has to be at 9 because I need my Whoa, that's yeah. pretty early. Yeah, it was real early. How so, old are your kids? Uh, my youngest is 20 and my oldest is 29. So, so they're, they're out of the house. Well, we're, we're I mean, an empty full nest. That, so. That's a great way to say it. That's a great. Or yeah, a full I, I mean, they're, they're not like, hey, dad, I need you to read me a bedtime story. No, at, no. Okay, okay. Yeah. That's what I meant. So, um, no, not at all. So, but like, you know, people are like, I'm watching the Olympics. I'm like, oh, that's great. I'll have to watch it tomorrow because it's live at eight o'clock and that's when I go to bed. Yeah. So I get up and I'm, I'm pretty religious about this. A little maniacal. So 5.15, by do what I call natural wake up, meaning I don't use an alarm. So sometimes it's a little bit earlier, sometimes a little bit later. Uh, five, uh, coincidentally, 5.30 to 6.30 every morning I write. But I write with a sprinters group. So there's other authors, fellow authors, that we call in to a Zoom at 5.30 in the morning, and we just activate it. We don't talk, but we're writing collectively. And for oh, me, that group, I, I got to write my 800 words, sometimes 1,000 if I'm on fire, every day. 60, 70,000 words is a manuscript. So you, yeah. you, know, you start doing that. Not a good manuscript. But a first manuscript. It's a first, it's a first, yeah, it's yeah. a first manuscript. Yeah. Then from 6.30 till 7.15, I hit the gym. Uh, and I'll do cardio one weights? day. What? You do weights? Weights, I do weights, okay. uh, you know, three days a week. Okay. Um, and then I do uh, free weights. And then I do um, cardio running or I, uh, rowing or uh, biking uh, outside. Mm-hmm. Depends on the weather. Then uh, from 7.15, it's, it's, I make coffee for my wife. I had all like, written down. I make coffee for my wife, take the dog out. And then 7.30, I'm starting my TM meditation. Eight o'clock, now I'm getting ready for the day at the office. Mm-hmm. And it seems like so kind of militant or something, but it's been wildly freeing. Um, it's been very productive and joyful. Yeah, I think, I think boundaries that fit us are always productive. Like they always lead to more creativity. That's the, yeah, if you don't so. have a Kansas, you don't, if you don't have a canvas, you don't know what to paint inside. Yeah. And if you, yeah, that's if a you don't point. have a, you know, so I, I think, I think what's limiting for somebody else might be super freeing for you. I, I posted a gold tracker I had that was like 
20 different goals I was working on. And somebody commented on Instagram, like, oh, that looks agonizing and terrible. And I was like, oh, well, then that that's not their thing. Like, that's for them. That would be for me. I, yes, I love that. Yeah, I got to like, show you something. I have it here. I have it in every office. We're at my uh, office office, but I have a home office and other places. This is my intention sheet for 2022. So oh, I, that's awesome. I type up, actually on a typewriter, every intention I have for this year. And I track it. I start highlighting things when I hit them. So like, not to get too personal, but give us an example of an intention, if you don't mind. Well, uh, first one was to be professionally trained in transcendental meditation. So that's, that's been completed and I've done, uh, I'm on the 70th meditation now. I, I hear I'll have 300 days of eight hours plus sleeps. I'll do 250 workouts of 30 minutes or more. I'll do my four week vacation. I'll weigh, you know, this is kind of ridiculous. I'll weigh, I'm ridiculous in the specificity. For me, it's perfect. I'll weigh 195 and have a 32 inch waist. That's great. I love that. Some people are like, well, are you like that manic? And, and maybe it is, but it really helps me stay on it. And honestly, at the end of the year, when I do my year end, I don't hit all my goals. No, no of course not. No. Sometimes 50%, sometimes more, but things have come about as a result of this that I probably would have never done if I didn't. Well, and it. also your wife will let you know if like, hey, like I have a lot of goals. I'll show you my sheet. Hold on. Oh, bring it yeah, sheet for sheet. Yeah, we're just, uh, so like, this is my, I just started, it's a notebook that I started in November. It's like, this is my action tracker. So oh, like, wow. you can see like, I'm good. These are the things I'm working on. I've got specific goals. And so, yeah, for, you know, I've got, I'm tracking what I think is going to be the next book, the hours I'm writing. I'm charting wow, it because I'm curious cool. how long does it take me to write a book? I've never really thought about this is the amount of hours I'm investing. Cause I have a sense that if I put 500 to a thousand hours in at the end of the process is a book. So I think most people make books so hard that they go, I'm writing the book and they, and they go, Oh, and they're like, this will prove my dad at my career choices. Right. I'm like, that's, yeah. it's already a pressurized situation. Don't add more pressure on it. Yeah, I, yeah, I have yeah. a, uh, affirmation says it's just a book because <sighs> then I'm able to go like, it's just a book. Like this is my job. It's just a book. But for me, that's helpful that releases me. And then again, the people in my life who love me will tell me, my wife will tell me like, she called me out the other day. Like I saw you gulping a lot of water. Do you have like a weird water goal you're working on right now? Cause I'm in the kitchen, like just like, Oh, like trying to drink a certain, Dude. an arbitrary number that do has you have a no, water goal? cause I have a water goal. Yeah, I do. But here's I my measurement it. system. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so like I was going too much where I was like, I was trying to do a gallon and it just wasn't right for my body. And I was like, no, this is. All right. So th we are fellow weirdos. Dude, yeah. I've never peed so much. I was doing some interviews. That's all like, I figured out is where every bathroom was in the city. Like and that's what I can get there. Yeah. Yeah. So you have, what is, what's your weirdest goal you have right now? Mm, I think it's uh, the weirdest would be, I don't know, none of them are weird. Or weirdest hobby or like, Dorkiest hobby because I have one. So I, I like I have a smoker, so I like smoking growing. No, here's the the weirdest thing that you wouldn't expect. I have an orchard I'm creating at my house of different fruit trees. I have a more than a penchant for fruit. I have an addiction. I, I you name it, I'll gobble it down. Like you put ten mangoes in front of me, gone, and uh, I can't stop myself. So I'm like, I'm growing fruit trees now. I'm in the Northeast, yeah. so you can't grow mangoes up here. It's like blueberries. What are you growing? Like cherries? Cherries. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. And tomatoes, yeah. the Jersey tomato. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is a fruit if you didn't know. Yeah, yeah. People love to tell you that. It's so, like, oh my God, it's more here. I have 10 more blueberry plants, one more pear tree, and two more other fruit trees indigenous to the New Jersey area. To be named later. To be, to be named. Like, to players to be drafted later. That's, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's pretty ridiculous. 
That is pretty good, though. I mean, but I can see guitars behind you, so I'm, I'm assuming music's uh Yeah, music's I've, I've been hobby. playing for 25 years, but I've been playing one year 25 times over. Yeah, there's you don't feel like you're progressing? No, because I'm, I'm, I'm three-chord three mic. Yeah, three-chord mic. Yeah. That's so funny. That's so funny. Well, this has been a blast. Last two questions. What would you put on your Mount Rushmore of books that you recommend people read? Like, you know, other than your own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think I would put it. You know what I put is uh, rejection proof because not many people talk about it. By a guy oh, named- Jia Jing. Yeah, or, yeah. Of course, My love that gosh. guy. Gosh. Yeah, we. Uh, I interviewed him on uh, for a book I wrote. We we did, did an event together. I didn't know it's pronounced Jia Jing. I thought it was Jia Jong. So I was gonna say it's no. by Jia Jong. Jia Jing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Great, great book. I'll give you another one, and if you name the author, I'll make him my god. One red paperclip. No, I don't. No, is that the one where the guy trades up the? Yes, damn. I don't know that. I haven't read it. I haven't read Kyle it. Kyle McDonald. So I, I, I met with him. It was such a compelling story. So, so all these things are overcoming the insurmountable. You know, mm-hmm. Jia Jing's book is he just sets up himself for rejection over rejection, and it's unbelievable what he does and what he experiences and the transformation in him. Kyle McDonald, same thing. The guy's, he's sitting there at his desk one day. He says, I want to write a paperclip. I want to own a house. How do I get this into me being a house? And he did it. Mm-hmm. He did it. And it's like, my God. And the experience and the journey he had, um, unbelievable. I, I love those two books. Okay. And uh, second question, what's the book you've given away more than any other, other than your own? Because we all have like garages full of books. Um, yeah. Well, John Rulon's Giftology because he swamps you with them. That oh bastard. yeah, he's good. Do you have a knife? You have a John Rulin knife at your house? I got, yeah, the, the John. That's how it started. I got. Yeah, this is a true story. Is so, it inscribed for you and your course. wife? Because that okay. That's. Do you have the ice cream scooper? Where are you at oh, on that? No, he didn't. Oh, <laughs> it come out. <laughs> scooping. Yeah, yeah. No, so you might be hanging out at Donald Miller's house, but I'm scooping ice cream oh, over here with my name on it. Gun. So I get these knives from Rulin, and I'm looking at it, and like it says, like you know, money is your your biggest ally or something. I'm reading these phrases. I'm like. I'm like, these are the cheesiest phrases on the planet. So then I'm like, they're horrible. So I, I John, we get hold of each other. He's like, hey, how do you like the nice? I'm like, I love it. He's like, how do you like those quotes? I'm like, love it. He goes, they're all from your books. I'm like, oh my God, these are my own quotes. They are horrible. <laughs> That's, yeah, well, I mean, taken out of context and put on a knife, I think most words are horrible. If we're, I an guess. English teacher told me that. An English teacher said, never get your words on a knife. Yeah. And so it's, it's weird that that, <laughs> that happened to you. That was, I never oh, heard that old. one. Never get your words on a knife. It's profound. Yeah. yeah, old Latin teacher. He wore uh, tweed coats. Really changed my life. So the books I distribute most, um, all kidding aside, you know, John's books are actually, his book, Gifology is amazing. I have given that to many people. There's another John, John Lee Dumas. Do you know him? Oh yeah. The uh, podcast on fire. Yeah. Or whatever, entre- yeah Entrepreneur, Entrepreneur on fire. Entrepreneur on fire. Yeah. The, he wrote a book called the, the common path to uncommon success. And it really codifies the journey very well. I, I've probably bought a hundred plus of those and distributed them. Oh, wow. That's, that's a huge compliment to him. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. I've, I had him on this spot. I think I had him on this podcast or I was on his He's a sharp dude. He's, he's sharp. in Puerto Rico. Like he's a machine, dude. He makes Every both time of I us talk look to him, he's lazy. Like, Why are you moving to Puerto Rico? I'm like, this is your line to everybody. He's trying yeah, to build I'm not his own moving little... to Puerto Rico. I've I love Nashville. And I, it's really when are you moving to Nashville? But the taxes, man, you'll save. It's only three percent. Yeah, but then, but then you live on an island and nobody will come see you. Yeah, and the fine note. Your root, your uh, neighbor will be John Lee Dumas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want to talk to people in Puerto Rico that are like, man, these these podcasters keep moving down. Yeah, it's down all podcasters. Puerto Rico. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. Like the island is really different. We've got a very specific type of gentrification. It's podcasters. <laughs> like you don't see Podcast that in a lot of island. 
They won. Yeah, that sounds like a Fox show. <laughs> Who will be voted off first? That's terrible. That's a, be a terrible show. Nobody would that watch that. That would be horrible. Well, Mike, this was a blast. Um, last question. Where can people find out more about you? Podcast links, everything. Yeah, everything. MikeMotorbike.com. It does go to Mike McCallowitz. My last name, no one can spell it. So MikeMotorbike.com. Yeah. And the reason I use that is that was a nickname from high school that was G-rated. It's the only G-rated nickname I have. That's a pretty good nickname. Did you yeah. choose that yourself? Or you can't no, choose no, your own I, nickname. No, you I never did a motorcycle. No, it rhymes. It was like, oh, Mike Motorbike. But then there was Mike, uh, things you can't yeah, yeah, say. Yeah, 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 sure. And um, I was like, well, I better buy all the domains and we'll see what genre I move into. And one of those will work for me. And that was the one that worked. If That's you go so, there, all my books are there. I used to write for the Mike Wall Street Motorbike. Journal and plant stuff. MikeMotorbike.com. Mike yeah. All right. That's great. Well, this is a blast. Um, Thanks, love John. doing it. Next time you're in Nashville, we'll definitely have to connect because I think oh, we have like 50, it's a deal. 50 mutual friends. Um, and I will compliment your beard because <laughs> affirmations are your love language. Who doesn't love trying. Gary Chapman? He's the best. So thanks for coming on today, Mike. Thanks, brother. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with Mike Michalowicz today. We'll put all the links in the show notes as always. And thank you for reviewing my podcast. When you have a newish podcast, although I think I had to stop saying that. It's a year old. We passed the year anniversary. Hey, that's fantastic. There wasn't any cake, but there, there should have been. But when you've got a fairly new podcast, the reviews are super, super important. Your feedback's so helpful. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you for pointing out things that you like or things you'd like to tweak. Your opinion really matters. So please make sure you leave a review and subscribe or follow or whatever it is the kids are saying these days. Don't forget, visit www.leader.com to set up a custom demo for your team today and discover why more than 600 organizations are already using Leader to track goals and develop their team. Use promo code ACUF to take 20% off. See you next week. And remember, all it takes is a goal. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the All It Takes is a Goal podcast and to get access to today's show notes and exclusive content from John Acuff, visit acuff.me slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the All It Takes is a Goal podcast. podcast.